0: This weekly broadcast is presented to you by Cornerstone Bible Center, located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you subscribe to this podcast, please send us an email at in teaching at yahoo.com. And now, here's our teacher, Alex Del Percio. In Leviticus 5.2, it says that if a person touch a dead animal or an unclean carcass, that they would be unclean, and they would have to bring an offering, and it also says, well, the question is, first question is, why? Then it also goes on in verse 2 and verse 3, and it says that if you touch an unclean carcass unaware that you are guilty. And the second question is, how can you touch that which is unclean and be unaware? So that comes from verse 2 and 3. So I'm going to ask you for your answer next week. So you got that? First of all, it says that he that touches a dead carcass of an unclean animal As it says, let me read it here for you. If he touches an unclean thing, whether the carcass of an unclean wild beast or an unclean domestic animal or of an un, uh, unclean creeping thing that multiplieth, even if he is unaware that he has become unclean and he is guilty. The question is why would it be sin? Or why would the person be unclean for touching a dead carcass? And secondly, how can they be unaware that they did that? So there's two questions. Okay, now let's go back to Leviticus 4. Now we're going to look at, briefly, uh, chapter 5, the trespass offering. But I want to go back to chapter 4 and uh, still dealing with the sin offering because there's a few things I want to want you to see here with this that I believe are important. Now, in chapter 4, verse 6, "...and the priest shall dip his finger in the blood." Now, the blood here is referring to the blood of the bullock that they were to, to, to bring, kill... And the priest would, as I said before, catch that blood in a pan. And now they're going to do something with that. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle the blood seven times before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary. So this is done here, and I want you to see this in this verse, before the Lord, or in the face of the Lord, or in front of the Lord. Now, they were to move here in a direction with this blood. And the direction that they were to move in was toward the Lord. This was done before the Lord. So, in doing this, it showed that sin and fellowship with God... Or should say this that sin affects a person's fellowship with God. And so they had to take this blood and do certain things with it as prescribed by the law because sin has affected them. Now, we many times do not realize how sin affects us as a Christian. In Leviticus 5, verses 1 through 13, it's very interesting. When you study this, it is called the sins against self. So the things listed maybe in the first four verses of Leviticus 5 are considered by God sins against self. So when we do certain things, we are just not sinning. That if it, This thing just doesn't affect others, although it does. But it is against ourselves. It's not just against God, but we are sinning against ourselves because of the broken fellowship, and, and, and that which we had with God now is interrupted. And so this becomes a serious, serious thing. Now the bull, when they were to take this bull and kill this bull, And the priest took this blood. This was to remind them of the broken fellowship. Now, one thing about sin. Sin will cause, or should I say it this way? Sin can cause a blind spot with the Christian. So that if we sin and we persist in that, and we do not take that to God, and we do not go through the process, so to speak, then what happens is now the Christian has a blind spot which they cannot see and understand certain things now because of this certain blind spot in an area, and that thing can affect another area of their life, And that can become a progressive thing if it's not taken care of and dealt with. So that in the Bible, we know that revelation is progressive. So is sin. It can be progressive in a detrimental way. So one thing leads to another, and that leads to another. And before you know it, the person's in trouble all because of something maybe that happened a while ago that wasn't dealt with, wasn't taken care of, wasn't taken to God, wasn't taken to Jesus the priest, and and the blood of that wasn't dealt with, if you understand correctly. This whole thing wasn't done right. And so now you have a Christian who has all these different things going on in their life and all these problems and you have this here and that there and they think that this is the problem and that's the problem. You know, and, and it's interesting you counsel someone and right away they'll say, Okay, this is the problem and it, it may may be, but most of the time it stems from something else that's going on in the heart and life of the person. So that without the Spirit of God to get to the bottom of it, you know, my Progress is, you know, not achieved. John says, if we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So if a person, as John says, is walking in darkness, well, what does that mean? John gives an example, and I believe that's only one example, that if a person hates their brother, they're walking in darkness. So now, they have this area of sin in their life, and they are, so to speak, cut off from the supply until that is made right. Until... Uh, there is, so to speak, the blood that is applied for that particular thing. Till there is a cleansing. Now, sin not only affects our fellowship, it affects our awareness. So that at one time we may be aware of a certain thing, because sin has has entered there, and because there is this blind spot, now we may not be aware of certain things. And so God, because He's a loving God, and because He cares for you as an individual, He will work in a way to bring forth that which is the problem so that We can take steps like the priest did before the Lord to offer that which is right and correct before Him. But all things are naked and open before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. So Christians sometimes do not have this awareness that they are living their lives before god so whenever you go to work or whenever you go out somewhere whenever you are in your private place you are living before god the priests had to do this thing they had to take this blood and, and And present it before the Lord. If we had a realization that our lives, every moment, were being lived before the Lord. If we had that reality moving in our heart. That whenever we went somewhere, and we got involved in this, whatever it may be that that is before the Lord, then I believe we would possibly do things differently. Or at least be aware of what we're doing. That God sees that. And and everything is hidden and open before Him. Now it says in this verse, uh, verse, this is chapter 4, verse uh, 6 that they sprinkled uh, the blood seven times before the Lord. Now, I wanted to look this word up because, you know, when I see certain words, they interest me. And sometimes when you look them up, it it shows you a little different take on something, you know, a, a different understanding. This word in the Hebrew means to swear. Not, not uh, vulgar language, but, but to swear by something. Um, to give one's unbreakable word. So when God has them do this seven times, he's testifying to them, or he's swearing to them, that they will be cleansed. Now, in the New Testament, that word means uh, an expression of fullness. So, if you look at the usage of the word in the New Testament, you will see this this idea of bringing something to fullness. Now, I I like Charles Hahn's definition of that, and that's uh, God's work or purpose brought to a successful conclusion, because I believe that takes both of those definitions. And, um, and brings that out, especially in Revelation, if you look at that word. God's doing something and he's bringing it to a successful conclusion. Now, this seven times here portrays that the blood of Christ is going to be successful for a sin offering or for the forgiveness of. Of a person's sin. So the things that they did, the ritualistic things, uh, were done to obey God, but to testify of Christ and what he would do. And so in uh, the holy place, they did this. Now, this is what they would do. I don't even know if I have it here or not. They would take the blood. Let me see here. Okay, verse 7. And the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour all the blood of the bullock, etc., etc. So what they would do was they would catch this blood. Now remember, that's done in the outer court. And the priest would take that into the holy place where you have the altar of incense. Now the altar of incense represents... Prayer, And they would take this blood and they would, would spatter, splatter or pour it upon the horns of the altar, the altar of incense. And, and, and that was to show, of course, that this is dealing with the sin offering the forgiveness. But that prayer, for it to be effective must have the blood applied. Or another way to say that is that the blood of Jesus Christ is what makes prayer effective. And another thing here is you had the outer court and they are carrying the blood in the pan and you're going to the holy place before the veil, it says. And then you had the Holy of Holies So this represents the intercessory prayer or the intercessory life of Jesus Christ, who was the mediator between God and man. God in the holy of holies and man in the outer court. So all these things they did were very, very significant. Now in verse 7... It says, and the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar. So he's putting it upon the altar. Now remember, upon refers to a direction. So if if I'm standing here and I take this and I place it upon the podium, There is a direction here that I'm doing this. See, I'm moving from one area or level to another area or level. So they they took this and they put it upon the altar or they're putting this in a higher place. See, the work of Christ in your life is always to take you and I to a higher place, to a place that is in a area above where you and I are now. Now in Psalm 61, From the ends of the earth will I cry unto thee, When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So the altar is higher than I. The direction in this is to a higher place. See, unless sin is dealt with in our lives it will be impossible for us to move to a higher place. I beseech you by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable worship. That ye present your bodies unto God a living sacrifice. The word sacrifice there means offering, and if you look the word up, it actually means a victim. See, the animals here were victims. Present your bodies as a living victim. For what? A living sacrifice. So that your life is given to God as a sacrifice to Him. Which is your reasonable or acceptable service. Given to Him. Now see, that is a higher place. Still you see the same thing. Moving from one one area, one realm, one level... To a higher place, just like with putting this blood on the on the horns of the altar, upon. See, it's it's a it's a it's a movement higher upon the altar. Our lives, a living sacrifice upon. It's, it's a higher place. Verse seven. Now this is another interesting thing here and shall, this is the latter part of the verse, and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar of burnt offerings, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. The word bottom, if you were to look that up, it means foundation. Sin affects our foundation. So that man because of the sin nature will never move toward God, toward the purpose of God for the reason that he has been created. He will never move toward that because sin has affected that foundation. And it's not until the blood of Jesus Christ is applied that that foundation of sin that nature, the sin offering, is changed. See, once the blood is applied, then that which is at the foundation, or that, I believe it means that which which is established. See, the sin nature was established in us. But through the blood of Jesus Christ being offered, For you and I, that foundation or that which was established is destroyed and we begin with a new foundation or you could say the new man is established in its place. Now with the sin offering and the trespass offering, one of the things that the individual had to deal with was guilt because of violating the law. Now, there's two areas that I see with the word guilt, and there may be more, I don't know. But the first is that when a person violates the law, God deems them guilty. So that Uh, If you get in your car and and you go through a stoplight and the policeman stops you, he will say that you are guilty of a traffic violation, correct? That you're guilty of that. But you may not feel guilty, and you may justify yourself and say, no, officer, the light wasn't red, it was yellow. So here you are guilty of violating the law, but yet in your heart, you're saying, I'm not guilty. So you have these two areas where you have guilt or the violation of the law. And then you have the area of guilt as far as carrying that, I am guilty. And, and that affecting your heart. See, so there's two areas of that uh, today. There was different areas of that back then where you violate the law and then the person may or may not experience the guilt for violating the law, depending upon uh, their heart. Now, if a person, well, either way, really, um, whether they felt it or, or if it was just a violation of the law, they would, they would carry that or they would be guilty until the substitute of the offering, the blood. When God had them kill the animal and the animal was applied, the blood applied, then their guilt was covered or, you know, you know done away with, whatever you want to say. It was taken care of. In Romans, it says this, For where, where is, there is no law, there is no trans, transgression. So first of all, you have the guilt. Now, for us to have guilt, we must be aware, or we must have uh, some knowledge of breaking the law. See, if you don't have a knowledge of breaking the law, There is no guilt. So let's say um, you don't file your income tax. And the IRS comes and they say, hey, you didn't file your income tax. You say, well, I didn't know it was the law. You're guilty. But once you know it's the law, and you don't do it, then it's a transgression of the law. But ignorance of the law doesn't, doesn't get it now, and in the Bible, you know, ignorance of the law is not excusable. Oh, Lord, I didn't know that I had to do that, because I never, you know, sat in the outer court and heard them talk about this, and I never uh, saw any scrolls. So, so why do I have to bring this offering? I didn't know I had to do that. That didn't excuse their guilt. They had to find out, just like we have to find out. You know, the the, uh, ignorance of the law is no excuse. So you had the guilt. You have to have a knowledge of the offense, okay? And then you have the transgression of the law. Now you see it. Now turn to Leviticus 5. I want to read a verse here. Verse 17. And if a soul sin and commit any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he wist it not, or he didn't know it, Yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. I want you to see the last part of that verse, that he shall bear his iniquity. So there must be confession of sin and sometimes restitution. Or else the guilt of that as is, is it says, it bear, you have to bear the iniquity. You have to bear the guilt of that particular thing. Now, man's tendency is always to hide or to cover up his sin. And we know that with Adam and Eve as a good example. And you can see that in... I think it's Samuel with David when he uh, had uh, Uriah killed and he took Bathsheba for his wife. He had the Lord had um, Nathan the prophet come to him and point out his sin, but David was trying to cover that over and to hide it, because that's the the natural thing for a man to do. And if you read Psalm 69, it says, "David, this is a Psalm of David, I cannot hide, I'm paraphrasing, I cannot hide my sins from you, Lord. But that's the normal thing for man to do. Now, turn to Joshua, chapter 7. Hiding a per, if a person hides their sin, what that does is eventually causes uh, problems, it causes death, and it actually affects other people. See, so your sin affects other people, believe it or not. You, you can't, and I've heard uh, Pastor Jim talk about that, you know, about bringing it into the house. Same, same thing. I want to show you this in in Joshua 7, where sin will cause death and it will affect other people. In in chapter 7, verse 1, "...but the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel." So his sin here caused the anger of the Lord to be kindled against him and against Israel, not just him. Verse 5. So there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote them about 30 and 6 men, etc., etc. So here again, this sin of Achan affected Israel and caused death. It caused the death of 36 other people. See, we don't realize our sin. You know, you wonder why God goes to the length He does sometimes to deal with sin. Because we see sin as this little thing in our life, and we don't see that, if it's not dealt with, pushing out... And affecting other people and bringing death to other people. How many people have uh, Christians who have not had the Lord let the Lord deal with something in their life, with some sin, and then go to work or come home and have death come out from them uh, and cause death in those people around them at work and at home? Now, look at. Verse 25, chapter 7. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? He's speaking uh, to Achan. The Lord shall trouble, trouble thee this day, and all Israel stoned him with stones, and burnt them, him and his family, with, with fire, after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the, the fierceness of his anger, wherefore the name of that place is called The valley of Acor. And that means, that word means trouble, the valley of trouble. So that sin, if it's not confessed, if it's not brought to God, if the Lord doesn't deal with that and you don't bring that out so that it's covered under the blood of Christ, if, if that is not done, what it brings is trouble. Trouble. So that you go and (laughs) you talk to people, and you counsel people, and they have this problem here, and that problem here, and this other thing here, as I said before, and they have all this trouble, and many times, not always, but many times, the source or the core of that is some sin, something that's going on there. Now, of course, we know that you can be righteous and you know, have trouble come your way, but this is different here. Sin will bring death to the person, to others, and it will bring trouble. So if you want to avoid a lot of trouble in your life, make sure your heart Is right with God. Now remember, God does not want the Christian to carry guilt. See, if you are carrying guilt here today, God does not want that in your heart and life. See, if you have sinned, you bring that to Jesus. See, that's why He died. He will forgive you, and he will take care of the guilt that is there. Now, don't get this thing in your mind that I have sinned, I can't be forgiven, or I'm sinned, I've forgiven, but I'm, I feel guilty. See, see, that is not from God. The guilt comes from the transgression, and that is the reality. It's there. But God has the answer for that. And that is the blood of Christ. And the blood of Christ will lift the guilt so that it is no longer there. What a tremendous thing that God has done. That we do not have to feel guilty for the sins we have committed. Now, I'm not saying there's not some consequences. I'm just talking about the guilt. Now, turn to Exodus a minute. Exodus 34, verse 7. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So that's God. That's what he does. That's what he's provided Uh, back in the Old Testament. He provided that to them uh, through obedience to the law, through through the uh, offerings, etc., and he has provided that to us today, so that, um, so that we'll by no means clear the guilty. So those who come to him and acknowledge him, see, their guilt will no longer be there. But if they don't, it's not going to clear the guilty, you see, if they don't bring that. Okay. Now, let's move on to chapter 5 here. Leviticus chapter 5. Let's start with verse 1. And if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing, and that doesn't mean vulgar language, that means like a sworn testimony or a testimony in court or something like that. Um, and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of it, if he do not utter it or he does not come forth and uh, tell the truth or bear witness to the truth, then he shall bear his iniquity. I I heard this story once about about this uh, woman who was a town gossip. And she was down around a town square and this man who was a bank president was <clears throat> down in the same area. And he, he looked and he saw a car hit a woman. And this woman had just happened to be a secretary at the bank. So he ran over, took his coat off, put it on the woman. And he, he grabbed her in his arms and he took her, it was a small town, he took her to the doctor's office that was there. And so this... Um, Town Gossip gets on the phone and calls the bank president's wife and says, you're never going to guess what just happened. I saw your husband and he had another woman in his arms. Well, what she did was she told a few facts, but she didn't witness to the truth. So she hid the truth. And so he's talking here about being a correct witness, verse 2. Or if a soul toucheth any unclean thing, whether it be the carcass of an unclean beast or a carcass of an unclean cattle. Now this is related to uh, chapter 11 of Leviticus and and elsewhere where there were certain animals that, that were clean and certain animals that were unclean. So if he would touch any of them, why, why was it, or what was it about touching the carcass that made them unclean? See, the, the, the carcass is a dead animal, and that is relating to sin because sin causes death. So they weren't allowed to touch a dead carcass because that was a a type of sin. or Or you could say it was the type of the result of sin, which is death. Or the carcass of an unclean, creeping thing. And if it be hidden from him, he is also... Uh, he shall be unclean and guilty. How, how can it be hidden from him that he touched an unclean carcass? Somebody tell me. Well, don't if you touch an unclean carcass, you're unclean. Well, how how can I touch an unclean carcass and, and be unaware of it? Well, okay, let's say I, I did not touch an unclean carcass. Okay? And I come over and say, hey Vic, how you doing? Doing okay? Doing okay? Aren't you doing okay? Okay. Later on, she comes over to him, He says, you know what? I have to go to the the uh, the temple there and give an offering because I touched an unclean carcass early in the morning. I need to go through the purification, you know, with water or whatever they did. And now I touched her, and I was unaware that she was unclean. Now I'm aware of it. Now I have to do something about it. See, so so sin, which causes death, affects other people. You and your heart, if your heart is not right before God, You can walk around being, so to speak, a dead carcass, or you can be unclean, and those you come in contact with now can become unclean. See, association with the wrong people can bring about uncleanness. And so he tells them in verse 2 he also shall be unclean and guilty. Now, let's back up for a minute. The very first part of the verse. And if his soul toucheth any unclean thing. Now, how would that relate to me and you? Well, there are certain things in the world that as a Christian, that we know we're not supposed to touch. And that would be something that, you know, some, whatever, it may be some worldly thing that we know better. You, know, you, you can't spiritually touch that because you become unclean. So, If the soul toucheth any unclean thing. See, in my heart, I can reach forth and touch things And those very things will be unclean to me and will cause me to be unclean. Now, when I first became a Christian, before I became a Christian, um, when I was in the military, I used to drink occasionally quite a bit. Uh, But mainly it was whenever I was in, in the army. And when I became a Christian... The Lord just, it just was there. I mean, when I became a, a, a Christian, certain things just immediately disappeared. You know, the vulgar mouth, gone. The drinking, I knew the Lord wanted it, stopped. And so I said, that's fine, Lord. You know, I, I don't need it. I have you. I have no desire for it anymore. And the Lord just, just took that thing right out. And that's the way it was for me. Now, if I would have went and and went out to drink, that would have been an unclean thing, and I would have been unclean. So I gave that to the Lord said, I don't care if I ever have it ever again. It doesn't matter to me. I can do without it. Give me some distilled water. That's fine. Lo and behold, about seven or eight years later, I was at this high school graduation, and they had, you know, pop and beer and everything. And the Lord showed me and and spoke to my heart and said, you can partake of it now, eight years later. And I, I was shocked, shocked, because I thought that was gone forever. And I didn't really care about it. And I thought, well, I don't know about this. But I, I had you know how the the Holy Spirit just kind of turns inside of you? And it's like, go ahead. I said, okay. So that now to me is not an unclean thing. At one, one time it was. Now let's take this one step further. See, <clears throat> there is this with within us, in our in our natural man. This desire, you know, all these different lusts, you know. And we need to be aware as a Christian of what's going on here in the inner man. See, because if we're not, then our heart will subtly reach out and touch that which is unclean. Now, Jesus says, and I'll relate this to to, um, a man. He says, if you look after a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. Well, what's that? That is the heart reaching out. Nobody knows and sees. It's reaching out to something that now makes the individual unclean. And so you women, you can do the same thing. You can reach out to something, some desire, some lust. It doesn't matter what it is, but that thing now is unclean to you, and because you have touched it in your heart, you have become unclean. And he also shall be unclean and guilty. It says in verse two. So verse two and three is dealing with an. Un- uncleanliness uh, or contamination. Okay? Let's read verse 3. Or if he touched the uncleanness of man, whatsoever uncleanness it, it be, that a man shall be uh, defiled withal, and it be hid from him, when he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty. So there can be within the heart that which reaches out to that which is unclean. Now, I can't tell you what is unclean for you. Uh, The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. so, So you need, by the Spirit of God, need to determine. See, that's why I said before, you need to watch what's going on here. You need to determine what it is that is unclean for you. And if something is unclean, you need to guard your heart so your heart doesn't move out to touch that thing. Now, that's something I can't teach you. You need to learn that yourself. But the Spirit of God will teach you. Now, he says here that if a person touches an unclean thing, he or she is guilty. And then they had to bring forth a trespass offering. Now, from what I can understand, it seems to me, now I may be wrong, because I'm by no means an authority on the book of Leviticus, because there's so much here. It seems to me that the trespass offering was given in conjunction with a sin offering. Now, whether that was done all the time or most of the time, I don't know. Uh, But regardless... Remember, God deals with, like the sin offering, um, the, the core of the, of the person, the nature of the person. He's dealing with the sin nature. With the trespass offering, he's dealing mainly with individual sins. Now, in this, these verses here, and I, I'll close with this, verse 1, 2, 3, 4... Looks like it's only the first four verses. Uh, You have certain things going on here. Let me see if I can see somewhere else. Okay, let's go to chapter 6. And we'll close with this. Verse 2, it talks about a trespass against the Lord, and he lies to his neighbor. Okay, in verse 3, it talks about uh, one who swears uh, falsely or a false witness. Um, in verse 4, it talks about getting something deceitfully. Um, in verse 5, you see someone who is uh, sworn fa- falsely. Okay. Now, this here, I believe, is not an all-inclusive list. These are just examples of, in, of sin that was committed deliberately. Uh, the Lord could have filled up the rest of the Bible with, with sin, the sin of man, the different you know, things, different sins. But in, in this portion of Scripture, he just gives four or five examples of that. So if you were reading about that and saying, well, it doesn't say about this, and doesn't say about that, well, that's only because they're examples. And that's why I brought up that thought of reaching forth with your heart and touching the unclean thing. It may not be what is listed here, but yet it can be unclean to you. And when you reach forth and touch that, then you become unclean. And now you have to go to God. So you'll carry the guilt of that, that sin, until you go to God and give that to Him and, and ask His forgiveness and whatever that may incur for you, what you, you have to do or whatever. Uh, And then the lifting of the guilt, the forgiveness of the sin and the lifting of the guilt is gone. What's it say in 1 John in in closing? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The word unrighteousness, unrighteousness there is dealing with the character of the individual. He will cleanse your inner man, the character, Okay, if you confess to him. So God has provided in the book of Leviticus through the offerings all that is needed for them. And all the offerings testified, as I said last week, to what Jesus Christ did for us. Uh, The great privileges that we have as Christians today... It's only because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and how that has been appropriated by us willingly receiving the gift of God. So we'll stop there today. And next week, that was the five offerings. Next week we'll start in, um, I don't know, one of the chapters after that.